Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's only one word that matters in business in the early days, and that is the word survival. Whilst you're alive, throw yourself 100% into whatever you do. Make the best of this wonderful life that we all lead. Hello and welcome to the first in a new series from Virgin Media Business, The Voom Podcast with me, Nikki Beatty. And in the spirit of The Voom competition, this show helps new businesses to get off the ground, start up and grow. And over the course of the series, we'll be speaking to both experts and emerging entrepreneurs to find out what makes their business go voom. We'll be looking at everything from food to finance, innovation to apps. We've got words of wisdom, tales of trials and tribulations and some frank advice all coming up and more on the competition later too. First, though, a very warm welcome to my guests in the studio. It's a food special today. So Paul Lindley is entrepreneur and founder of Ella's Kitchen. They are the UK's number one baby food brand with over 20% of the UK's market share and a global turnover of over $100 million. Impressive stuff. Hello, Paul. Hi, Nikki. And to my other side, I have Jem Misa. Now, Jem is the founder of Collie Rice. That's Collie, C-A-U-L-I. The first long-life, easy-cook cauliflower rice brand on the market, which, in its first year trading, has already been stocked in over 1,500 supermarkets across the UK. Jem was also a finalist in the 2015 Voom competition. It's so nice to have you here. Hello, Jem. Hello, Nikki. So by way of an introduction, let's start with a nice wide question. And this will test your honesty too. What, Paul, has been your funniest business fail today? Let's <laughs> <laughs> start as we mean to go on. Uh, it certainly wasn't funny at the time, but I look exactly. back and find it funny. Um, I pitched once in the US to a buyer at a supermarket who didn't look up from his laptop throughout the meeting, didn't shake my hand, played on his laptop. I kind of stopped and thought silence might work. He didn't look up. I continued. And uh, after about 20 minutes, we just left. And it was just bizarre. How did it make you feel? Well, we'd flown about six hours in a plane to go and see this guy. And, it, you know, in reflection, it was really funny. And we just laughed about it because we were kind of on the road and road humour got the better of us. Um, it really taught me a lesson about how to pitch and how maybe the best thing is to say, you know, I'll come back a different day. So you didn't go away beating yourself up and thinking, I should have done this differently and engaged We just Becca. laughed when we got out because there was nothing else to do. Was this somebody very famous? Are you going to name and shame them for us? It's a big retailer in the US, yeah. And that's all you'll say? Who have offices here and they make very healthy foods. <laughs> OK. 
Okay, <laughs> we'll be left guessing. Jim, what about you? Oh, I think like Paul, at the time, nothing really ever is funny when you make these mistakes. Um, I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, our first year when we were being stocked in a lot of London retailers for one of my food brands, Righteous. It was a salad dressing. And we got listed by one of the top supermarkets and they put us in 400 stores and we had no idea what to expect. In in the smaller stores, what they would do is they'd have our dressings in these cases of six in these closed boxes that they'd take time to you know, open the box, put them one by one on the shelf. We didn't realize that once you get to these big supermarkets, they don't have the time to do that. And what they do is just put the box in the shelf. So we went into the supermarkets for the very first week, so excited to see our products on the shelf, only to see these fully covered boxes in 400 stores. And I think it, it wasn't very funny at the time. I can laugh about it now, but my heart was in my throat, I remember. And we, we had to... Um, come up with some fast um Did you actually end up opening the boxes too. in front of you? We we had to we had to get the merchandising agency in really, really quick. But yes, I can laugh about it now, but I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs agree, you know, when you when these business mistakes happen, ooh, they're not very funny at the time. <laughs> well it's interesting, isn't it, whether it is a mistake or whether every so called mistake and failure is actually just a bigger learning yes. curve. Mm-hmm. And of course little failures are part of every good success story. And today it's fair to say you're both running very healthy companies. Companies. Paul, you founded Ella's Kitchen in 2006, and in just 10 years, you've built it into one of the leading baby food brands in the UK. Let's rewind to the start of that journey. How did you come up with the brand? And tell us about the moment you knew you wanted to turn that idea into a business. Okay, so two things were going on in my life about 12 years ago. I had my first child, Ella company's named after and we'd just gone through the weaning process of trying to get her to eat solid foods for the first time and it was a real success for the first few weeks and then she just kind of stopped eating things that she'd eaten before and I just used silliness and mess and games and fun to try and just get her open her mouth pop the spoon in and make it a light-hearted experience and I sort of copped on that if, if you can make food fun for kids they're going to want to eat it and see it as something that's sensorial so that was going on at the same time in my professional life I was at Nickelodeon television channel and I was the deputy managing director there and I'd been there for 10 years and I'd seen so much about how television was seen as contributing to poor children's health so they were watching bad ads or they were not doing exercise and I knew the statistics that about a third of our kids are overweight and about 20% of them are obese so I sort of put that professional head and my personal life together and I thought someone i.e. me, should create a brand of food that can be healthy, can be fun and can be handy and, and convenient. And Ella's Kitchen was born. And parents all over the UK and way beyond, thank you for it, that's for sure. Uh, Gem, those moments of business inception are a little more recent for Collie Rice. Yes, you launched recent. September 2015. Just tell us a bit about Collie Rice. What is it for people who don't know? Well, it's something that's been going on as a health trend, I think. If you look at online and social media, cauliflower rice is something that people like Jamie Oliver talk about, the Helmsley and Helmsley sisters. And the reason people are so excited about it is what people do is they take a head of cauliflower and they grate it and they cook it and prepare it in a way that it tastes just like rice, but without the calories. So it's such a fantastic product. It has 75% fewer calories than rice. And how we started was my husband and I used to just make the product at home. And we thought it's such a fantastic product. You could be wanting to lose weight. You could be avoiding rice because you're diabetic or for several health reasons. But Collie Rice allows you to 
have these meals that you previously had to avoid and allows you to enjoy eating again. So um, that's why we're so excited about it. But let's explain. So for me, the effort of buying a head of cauliflower and standing there and grating it is not going to happen. No. So you obviously honed in on that, didn't you? Yes, exactly. The laziness of people. Exactly. Well, at the time I was running two businesses, I had, you know, my little girl, she was two, I think, at the time, just running around. And there were days when you just didn't have the time to do it. And when we realized this, it was so obvious, you know, so my husband and I were talking about it, saying, you know, it's such an obvious idea. I'm sure someone out there has something already. And we looked online and we couldn't believe that no one had it. And it was one of those things where I remember getting goosebumps just thinking about it, thinking, oh my gosh, if we can actually get a ready-to-heat 12-month shelf-stable product out there, it would be absolutely amazing because it would open up this product to so many people who are just too busy, who don't have the time to do it. And it's also quite difficult to get right if you're making your own cauliflower rice. So once you've got it right and you've packaged it beautifully, where does it sit on the supermarket shelves? The other great thing about it is it sits exactly where rice brands are. So on on the rice shelf, people can see cauliflower rice right beside all the big rice brands and they can easily make the connection between swapping out the rice bran for cauliflower rice. Since we launched, all these supermarkets have seen the success that we've had and they've tried launching fresh cauliflower rice, which is great. Um, But the problem is that tends to go off and you have a lot of food waste you have to deal with. You know, the product goes off in two days. Our product has no preservatives in it and you can keep it in your cupboard for a year without having to worry. Coming back to you, Paul, in the same sense when you were launching Ella's Kitchen, how did you differentiate from other baby brands that were on the shelves? What was unique about your product? Well, we innovated in quite a few areas. I sort of, as a parent, looked at the shelves and you had to shop them myself and what was missing. And then I sort of put a professional hat on and I thought... What you really need to do in a supermarket shelf is stand out. People have about six seconds when they get to the shelf to choose what they want. And I'd come across packaging in France in a completely different sector that I thought would be perfect for baby food and kids' food, Um, really tactile, squeezable pouches, which everybody told me they're not going to work because people can't see in them, they can't see the food. And I thought, well, that's kind of everything that you see is orange in a glass jar (laughs) and pretty bad texture. So by using the pouch, we could stand out on shelf, but also cook our food less long and to a less high temperature, which gives better nutrition, better texture, better colours, better smells, all of those things that are going to stimulate all of the senses. So we did that. And then the second innovation that we brought was we mixed ingredients together and introduce new ingredients that um, the existing baby foods didn't do. So exciting ingredients, health focus, they were organic as well, which not all the brands were, and the packaging that stood out and was convenient to consumers all kind of effectively has revolutionised baby food because now everybody's seeing that it's a good thing and most of the brands are moving into pouches. Well, it is one of those things when you see the Ella's Kitchen products, it's that baby side of you that goes, oh, pretty colours, oh, lovely shiny packaging. Not only that, but carrying a glass jar around as a mother all day or six of them is pretty heavy. So you've you've covered that off as well. Well, there's this... um Schadenfreude is probably the right word for this, but I've set up a startup business last year called Paddy's Bathroom, which is uh, organic and natural shampoos, which we've tried to put in pouches, some of them. 
And it's, some of it's not cut through because people associate pouches with baby food now, which 10 years ago <laughs> I brought to the market. Now, so this is it's Paddy. all caught back on me. This is Paddy because your son is called Paddy. That's right, yes. Have you got another child? No, thank you. Okay, goodness. so only two businesses. Only the dog you, looks at me now with big sad eyes of what's coming for him. <laughs> could, could we know the dog's name? My, Milo. Milo something. It's I can see to that. Be. I can see that working. Your packaging is also very attractive. And what have you chosen to use? Yes, pouches as well. Um, and I completely agree with. Paul, I think standing out on shelf is very important for a startup, for a, for a new product coming onto the market. And for us, because we're entering such a competitive category and such an old category, what we wanted to do was just differentiate ourselves from all the other rice brands on shelf. But how do you safeguard yourselves from the competition then? So when we came up with the idea, we thought before we mention it to anyone, we have to start protecting it. It took us three years to perfect the product. And during those three years, we started working on how we can patent the technology. And now we have a global patent that protects us and hopefully ensures that we're the only ambient long-life cauliflower rice. As a Filipina, is rice very much a part of your very diet? Very much. <laughs> so I, I, I ask because both of you have one thing immediately in common, and that's that it's from a very, very personal point of view that you have developed these products. You wanted your children to have really good food. You understood that you could do better than people out there. And I think there's two things within that are vital for small food businesses to get going. The first is you need to be passionate about what you're doing. That really, really needs to come through because when you're standing there before a buyer who really might not take you credibly, your passion will help you get over the line. You've got to really, really love your business, love your consumer, love your product to get through there. And the second thing is an authenticity and trust that the consumer needs in you to get over. And that comes through in your story. You know, whether you're a consumer, you're an employee thinking about working for you, you're a buyer thinking about buying you into a supermarket, they're people and they like a story. And you can weave your facts and figures and all of those sort of things into your story and it's much more engaging. So having an authentic and a believable, true story really helps sell your products. That's great advice. Jim, you were a finalist in the 2015 Voom competition. Could you, in a nutshell, explain the experience and how it was for you? Wow, I can't believe it's been a year already since our competition. So much has happened, but Voom 2015 was incredibly helpful for us. It came at the perfect time. We were a month from launching in 700 supermarkets, our first 700 supermarkets, and we had just enough money to, you know, get the product produced, um, get a factory built, you know, enough working capital to get our products sold into, you know, all these supermarkets. But we didn't have enough of a budget for any kind of advertising. And no one knew us. I think at the time we had 100, 150 social media followers. And we thought, you know, this is a product that people have to know about and we need something really big that would, you know, create that sense of spreading the news about Collierize via word of mouth. And I remember... One day I went to my sales agency and I saw this huge billboard with Richard Branson's face on it, advertising Voom uh, 2015. And and it said there that, you know, one of the big cash prizes being offered was, um, I think, 125,000 advertising campaign. And I thought it was perfect. You know, we were just thinking we needed advertising. This popped up and I thought, you know... I know it's going to it's a nationwide competition but we have nothing to lose. Why not give it a try? 
And I think we just surprised ourselves just making it from one round to the next. It wasn't easy, but I think if you really genuinely believe that you have a very unique idea and something that could change, affect the way people live, or in our case, affect the way people eat, you know, I think that you would have a very good chance. Well, thinking more about that initial launch period of a business, getting a food product onto the market is not easy. You're competing with huge brands. Think about Kraft, who have massive marketing budgets, and I single them out for no other reason than it's the first name that came to my mind. To get enough attention to make it onto the shelves, you need a marketing plan. You need the funding, as you've just mentioned. So... Let me come to you, Paul. How did you go about raising the funding for your initial product, for Ella's Kitchen products? These days, there are different ways that you can get investment in money. I think crowdfunding, which I know Gem Mm -hmm. has done, um, is a fantastic new way of getting cash. But at some point, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. And I very much have never gone down the route of wanting to give my equity in my business away cheaply, um, if at all. And I felt my idea was such a good idea that I was more willing to remortgage our house with my wife's blessing, obviously, (laughs) um, uh, than than get money in through uh, investors in equity. And I'm so glad I did that because when we built a business and sold it many years later, I was still in control of it and I could still um, define where the destiny of our business actually went. And Paul, was there anything you overlooked at that point? No, I was very careful to be creative in the ways that we manage the cash within the business. Mm -hmm. So from a whole marketing point of view... I paid out after I'd got it in, if we sold. Um, And I also worked with our suppliers to ensure that I paid them after I was paid by our customers. And so we made the best of our working capital. Now, I was savvy enough to be, I was a chartered accountant from, from very early training. So I just ran an incredibly tight ship. I was a jack of all trades. I didn't get staff in quickly. Um, which is yes it saved money it nearly drove me mad (laughs) and um, is very emotional and stressful but it did save money and got us going it's really good to hear somebody admit that something is emotional and stressful Mm. how have you coped at times when you have had really great stress that's almost distress yeah you need a soulmate and I've got one in my wife that was there to be involved enough in the business to know what was going on and to be objective enough to give advice and and, and give comfort and and actually give some stark truths if I was going down the wrong path. But also surrounding yourself with brilliant people as your business grows is something I can't overemphasize and the benefit of a team in collective thinking, collective sharing of stress. But it's a lonely journey being a successful entrepreneur as, as, as your business goes. You understand a whole load of stresses that other people perhaps don't see. You're thinking in your head about legal issues, financial issues, creative issues, sales issues, marketing issues, people issues, all sorts of things. And sometimes there's not enough space in your head to do that without help. Coming up later in the programme, we'll be hearing from Jeff Patterson. He is the co-founder of 4X, a new self-service currency exchange kiosk that allows customers to convert unwanted foreign coins and notes into sterling euros or US dollars. And 4X launched last year after an eight-day seed funding campaign in which they raised over £100,000 more than their initial target. So when we catch up with Jeff, he'll be talking about 
a bit about the impact that had on their launch. And there'll be some top tips based on his experience in his first year of business. You will want to hear that. Jem and Paul. One thing that many people struggle with when they're working out whether to start their own businesses is making that big decision to leave their existing job. Financial security is often a huge weight on people's minds, as well as just believing in themselves enough to make the jump. How did you deal with that? Gem, I'm going to come to you. Uh, That was a big decision, I think, on my part. I was working for a great company, one of the big FMCG companies as a global brand manager. It was all very, very comfortable. But I think after years of doing that same job, I realized that it wasn't for me and I knew I wanted to do something else. And I knew in my heart that I wanted to start my own business. But in terms of timings, the recession was just starting and people were telling me that I was crazy to even think of leaving my job. I had no proof that my business ideas were going to work. Uh, it, it was a very big decision, but I think it, it just gnawed at me and, and uh, until a point where I just realized that, you know, I'm not going to be happy doing what I'm doing. I realized that I really wanted to see my ideas come to reality and see you know, how I could change people's lives with these ideas. I was really excited about it. And I thought I should just have a go. I haven't looked back since. It hasn't been easy, but I haven't looked back since. Now, we touched for a moment on having all these things to juggle. What advice, Paul, would you give to budding entrepreneurs who've also got families? That's the hardest thing, I think. And and, and make no mistake about it, it's going to be hard because you're going to feel at some stage guilty about one thing or another. You're either not putting enough time into your business or you're not putting enough time into your family. I think the wonderful thing about entrepreneurship and the use of um, how we've developed technology and communications and things now is that you can get this work-life blend. I talk about work-life blend rather than work-life balance because I think the two things can overlap and intersect with each other all the time. But you will have times where you have to compromise one over the other and you've got to get used to that. So once you knew and believed in your product... How do you take this from a recipe that you're making at home in your kitchens to the product it is today? Paul, you've been doing this the longest. You've probably learnt an awful lot. How did it work for you? Well, the first thing I think people should think about is the importance of cash flow rather than profits. Because the two types of companies that run out of cash are ones that are very successful and ones that are very unsuccessful. So the rubbish companies spend their money, don't make any sales, and they disappear. The great companies want to grow and grow fast, and your cash can get tied up in stocks and in marketing campaigns and things like that, and you've got to make sure your working capital um, works, and I thought through that. So that that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is about how you are different to anybody else in the marketplace and how that can be sustainable. So really understanding your customer and your consumer is vital. You know, in the food area, taste trumps everything but price is important and ease of accessibility and ease of use healthiness ethics i think are increasingly key when you say ethics what do you mean the ethics ethics? of a business i think one of our very very proud of within ella's is that we had a mission from the very beginning which is about making profits with a purpose our purpose our mission is to improve children's lives by giving them a healthier relationship with food That defines what we do. It defines how we develop our products, how we employ people, how we do marketing campaigns, everything within our business. And it allows us to be consistent in our choices. It allows us to get passionate people working for us. And it allows us to defend all the decisions that we make 
So the values that we have within our business, we know overlap with the values that parents have with their children, and we seek to invest in making sure that they hear about them and we're consistent with them all the time. And Jim, for you, to choose a product that isn't just a fad or a trend is quite hard, presumably. Is that something that you focused on? Did you see Collie Rice as something that will sustain us for years and years to come, like Basmati or Sticky Jasmine Rice? Yeah, I, that's one of the big challenges for us, to make sure that it's beyond a food trend. I think we're seeing a lot of early signs hopefully I'm crossing my fingers of of success we've been trading for just six months we've hit over a million in turnover and I think we kind of see it as a compliment that we see all these other supermarkets trying to launch their own cauliflower rice and in a way I think it's a good thing because it's growing the category it's hopefully changing the habits of people and that's what we want to do I mean the problem we have now is our lifestyles are changing you know we're sitting at desks more we don't have the opportunity to burn off as much of the carbs that we consume as we perhaps used to years ago. Now, you know, you need new products to sort of complement this new kind of lifestyle. Otherwise, you know, it, it takes a, such a negative impact on your health. And and I think going back to what Paul was mentioning in terms of the opportunity for food brands, this, I think, is where the opportunity of uh, new entrepreneurs are, you know, finding ways to be able to improve the way people eat in their general lifestyle. And when it comes to manufacturing, what are the things that you learned, Jem, in taking this from a small-scale business in your kitchen to manufacturing in a way that you can distribute in yeah. the numbers that you want? I'm, what have you learned? I'm, well, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I know we we're talking about, you know, remortgaging your house or giving away your equity in your business and raising finance. I would caution, you know, startups to... I think the very first thing to do before you start aiming big is proof of concept, okay? So start small. And the great thing about food businesses is you can make your products in your own kitchen. And I remember when I started one of my other food businesses, Righteous, this is exactly what I did. I came up with vegan, gluten-free salad dressings in my own kitchen, took them to supermarket buyers with the concept, an idea of how much I could sell the product for, and managed to get an idea of who was interested in ordering, we got it listed by Whole Foods, by Selfridges at the time. And, you know, so we had a really good idea of what committed volumes we could start with. So I, I would urge everyone when you're taking that first step to start small, prove your concept works first. You might think it's a good idea, but, you know, other people might think there's an opportunity to improve or somewhat tweak your idea. So it's very important to do that test first. Once you have that, then, you know, you would be much more confident about growing your business bigger and bigger. Because if you start with a business that's somewhat flawed, if you grow and you don't have your margins right, it's going to cause bigger problems in the longer term. So I think start small, prove your concept, and then slowly, organically grow from there. This is the perfect time for me to tell you a little bit more about the Voom campaign. So Voom is an annual competition run by Virgin Media Business, and it gives emerging companies the opportunity to pitch to rich. That's Richard Branson, of course. For the opportunity to win a share of £1 million in prizes and a whole raft of money can't buy opportunities. One of last year's winners was Jeff Patterson from the company Forex. Let's hear his story. A 
I'm Jeff Patterson, co-founder of Forex, a company that is looking to reinvent currency exchange by mixing technology with a whole lot of common sense. We built a kiosk that allows the customer to walk up with literally a jar of coins or notes from almost any country in the world. The customer can deposit the coins unsorted and the machine looks at each and every coin individually, extracting its value and turning that into either pounds, euros or dollars, whatever the customer wants. Exactly the same for notes. We call it money exchange on steroids because it does everything that it should do. In June last year, I um, started getting pains in my leg. We were in the finals of the Pitch to Rich. I went to go see a doctor and they found a 12-inch tumor just below my knee. Um, so they told me that this it's very likely that they'd have to amputate it to stop it from spreading. So we went through the campaign, we won the pitch, and in October they, they amputated my leg just above the knee to make sure that it couldn't spread. I'm now walking on a prosthetic and I've got one cycle of chemo left. We had the launch of the machines on the about a week after I had my leg off, and Oliver made sure that I was in working. He said, "Just don't make sure you don't bleed on the machines when you come in, but you will come in." And he drives me. He's the one that doesn't allow me to stop, and I don't want to stop. But I'm so lucky that I have this to get up for because. A lot of guys stop and they focus on what's wrong. For me, I have something amazing to work for. So it's what gets me up in the morning. It took us about three years to come up with the technology and collect the database. There's over 4,000 banknotes that are currently worth anything in the world and about 60,000 coins that have a value. So we had to collect literally every single one of them. And not only one, we had to collect multiples because some of them are worn, some of them are dirty, etc. So we had to develop a layer of this database so that when we developed the technology, the technology could scan and view this money. On top of that, we had to build it into a machine that is bulletproof enough that doesn't jam and doesn't break. So the whole concept of it took us about five years to build a machine that you can literally pour any kind of money into exchange it at better rates and you'll get it any bureau to change and walk away with your money a couple of minutes later we've done in excess of 20,000 transactions in the first four months in just four machines so you know the, the demand is there we've just got to get them out fast enough uh, the next machine is going into london bridge underground station we've also recently signed contracts with virgin east coast and a couple of other train stations so we expect to have a further 60 to 100 out this year that's a phenomenal growth rate when we came up with the idea it was so way out there we must have pitched this idea to hundreds if not thousands of investors and every time we came across the same problem Almost every single investor said to us, look, go and put 10 or 15 machines out there. If it works and if you can do the turnover you think you can do, we'll invest as much money as you want us to invest, but not until that point. So Oliver and I kept putting our own money in and own money and development is expensive. So about January last year, we were at the end of our money. So we decided to crowdfund. And it was amazing because there were hundreds of people prepared to put in a few hundred or a few thousand pounds but nobody was prepared to put in a million pounds 
we funded in five days and we overfunded by 250% in 10. So it was phenomenally successful for us and it just gave us the belief in the business that we knew we always had. But there were suddenly 500 other people who said, look, you know, this is a great idea and I'm prepared to put a few thousand pounds at this. And that was actually the turning point for us. Apart from us almost packing it in before we crowdfunded, we got through that, we, we got a bit of funding and then we entered Voom. Getting through to the final 10 and then actually winning it was just phenomenal. Um, one of the ways we got votes was to get on the radio in South Africa because Oliver and I are both ex-South Africans. And what I did is I got hold of a breakfast show in South Africa and I asked them to see if they could get behind a couple of South Africans entering this competition in, in the UK. And we got 500 to 1,000 votes every time we went on the radio, and they kept asking us back on to, to get an update. But one of the most remarkable things was an investor heard us and loved the idea, and what he did is he phoned us up and said, look, I'm jumping on a plane. I want to come and see you guys. We had actually won it by the time we'd closed the deal, but... He invested several million pounds in our company since that. So it wasn't actually the fact that we'd won it, but it was the fact that got us exposure out there. Jeff Patterson from 4X, the winner of the 2015 Virgin Voom competition. And you can read more about Jeff and 4X's story on the Virgin Voom website. That's vmbvoom.com. And you can also follow all the latest news from this year's campaign on Twitter at VM Business. You know, I think um, trying to remember the what it was like during the competition last year, you know, we would work so hard and to the point that I was thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth pushing on? And Jeff was one of those people that would call going, we're watching what you're doing. You're doing such a great job. He's such a nice guy. And considering all the challenges he's been through, you know, you think, wow, talk about the pillar of strength and, and just source of inspiration for us. He's fantastic. And it's such a fantastic business idea as well. You're listening to the Voom podcast from Virgin Media Business with me, Nikki Beatty, and today's a food industry special. And we're talking to Jem Misa, founder of Collie Rice, and Paul Lindley, founder of Ella's Kitchen. We've been talking a lot about the initial stages of setting up businesses. Now let's get to the real nitty gritty. Sometimes getting an idea into motion isn't actually the hard bit. It's keeping a business afloat and growing it that comes with more difficulty. And it's reported that 90% of startups fail. Why do you think that's the case, Paul? I think it's really important to remember that actually there are two different skill sets in starting a business and in growing a business. And what you need to do to grow the business is to round yourself with people who know how to grow a business. And vital things, I think, in our Ella's Kitchen journey were, yes, the skill set of the people that came in and they took on new roles that we that were better than the existing people um, that were there. And we grew our team and we grew our collective thinking and challenging of each other. Um, but the culture that we developed, I think, is vital. I think I know a brand starts from the inside and seeps out. And I also think... Many people don't realise you've kind of continually got to climb the tree and take the next banana up the tree, if you like, because, you know, you can have a fantastic idea, it's innovative, it comes to market, and then 
A year later, you need another idea to keep the momentum going. You need to start to build your product range because that's the way brands develop. It's on breadth of products and relevance to their consumer. Well, those are great examples of the components that you've used to turn Ella's Kitchen into a $100 million a year business. So if we're standing on the shoulders of giants, Mm. yours are good shoulders. Jim, what are your current goals in terms of business growth? For Collie Rice, well, I think what we want to do is continue with our growth trajectory. We're really excited because we are competing in a really, really old category with so many brands that are just have been there for 10, 20 years. And we, if we continue with our growth trajectory, we should be on track to be among the top 10 brands in the category by the end of our first year. So that's one of our goals to make sure we hit that. And our next goal really is trying to get our product out into as many markets as we can in the, over the next five years. But like Paul said, again, focus, making sure first you've got your first market secure before you grow too quickly. So are you in the Philippines yet? Not yet. Now, Not that, yet. surely that's going to be the <laughs> ultimate place for right. your rice to land. Um, uh, it is, you know, it's, um, I think that was the point of the global patent. When we saw how big an idea this was, we wanted to make sure we had a global trademark on the name Kali Rice, which we do, and a global patent on the technology. So what we want to do is slowly work our way through main markets. And I think like Paul mentioned earlier with Foodpreneur, our next big market that we're looking at is, is the U.S. And we've got some exciting developments that are going to be coming out over the next 12 months there. Well, Jem, now, would you like to interrogate Paul? Would you like to ask him things? Uh, Would you like to put him on the spot? Any questions? It's over to you now. Gosh, um, you know, I was really chuffed when I found out that Paul was going to be in this interview with me just because he's one of the people that we genuinely look up to in terms of the success you've had with Ellis Kitchen and how you've managed to run the business, you know, quite independently and with, like you said, without having to take big venture capitalists in really early on so you have a really good hold of the business. How did you manage to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I won't pretend that I know all the answers at all. And two of the things that I did know is, A, luck plays a little bit of a part and you've got to take the good luck and the bad luck and accept both. Uh, I do know that a team is what drives and builds a business. Incentivizing them, motivating them, recognizing and rewarding them every which way, every day, is 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 vital and they will work their socks off they will come up with new ideas and they will help your business um, shoulder some of the stresses and celebrate some of the successes but also we've had a vision this mission from the very beginning and the set of values that we can constantly go back to so when you know days are hard and things happen that we weren't expecting we can comfort ourselves and know we've made the right choices because of our values and again I'll go back to people run businesses businesses are about people and that's that's the heart of it it's, it's you need all the facts and figures and everything but you need to be able to communicate them and get all those benefits across to your consumers and your team and your investors brilliant When I did A-level business studies, in our first lesson, our teacher, Mrs Napier, said, what's the first thing you need to start a business? And everybody put their hands up and they were saying, (laughs) capital, this, that, an idea. And none of us got the right answer, which was people, which you've just reiterated. (laughs) Gem, any other questions for Paul? Ah, so many, actually. Well, uh, perhaps knowing what you know about Collie Rice, um, what would be your advice on, you know, what are the things that we need to focus on Mm. as we grow the business? 
you brought the two things that I've been talking about together. You brought people. You are so articulate and so passionate. Um, and I know your product tastes great, ticks all the boxes of what a millennial consumer is looking for. And I know you've done your research on that. And I know it, it's on the trend of healthy living and, and it will but grow. So the challenge, I think, is to focus on the core, focus on those things that you've brought as innovation. So... Um, a target market share in the UK. I know you've got you want to be in the top 10. That's brilliant. Um, how are you going to do that? I think the six ways anyone can grow a business, it's very simple. You either sell more products to the same people you're selling to, you find new customers, you find new products to sell them, you find new markets to sell in, you do M&A and you sell and you grow by scale um, and you recycle your cash in your business quicker. So simplifying your business to what you're good at, remembering what you're good at and building on that. So I think there's probably more flavors you can do. I think there's probably different sizes you can do. It's fantastic that you've got the patent behind what you do and you've got the trademark of something that is a very functional name. You're you're very clever stress mm-hmm. slash lucky slash intuitive in choosing a name that is defining your category. And that's that's you know, that's investable in. That's 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 a real asset. That's nearly it for this episode. If you want to get involved in the conversation on Twitter, it's at VM Business. If you've got a burning business question that you want answered, use the hashtag Voom Podcast. So just some quick questions to finish up with quick answers, I hope. What's unique to food startups, Paul, you? Their ability to scale, the fact that every single person in the whole country has got an opinion about food and uses it, and the fact that it's not just nutritional, it's social as well, and there's a whole load of ways you can market that and build on that. And it's psychological food, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, all so of those cute. things. Where do you see the industry going and where is there room for growth? I'll come to you first, Paul. So the trends that are coming through are around healthiness, I think. You see uh, coconuts everywhere these days in different guises, uh, protein bars, and you know a move away from sugar away from high fats, that's here to stay. So reformulation of products is a big thing. And I think the millennial consumer is so important now and they are different than every previous generation. They're more insightful and knowledgeable about everything around the world and they will challenge you on it. So really transparency is the new green. Be a business that is prepared to put your credentials front of your website and on your pack and talk about them all the time because you're going to get challenged on them and be honest about them. And Jem, where do you see the food industry going? Um, where do you think there's room for growth? We did mention healthy eating, but I think traditionally healthy eating's always been perceived as boring and tasteless. And I think one of the big opportunities is proving those people wrong. Um, and that's what we've tried to do with our food companies, uh, Righteous and Quali Rice, you know, proving that um, you can make healthy food taste really good. Um, and then I think the second big trend um, is just, you know, with people's changing lifestyle, everyone is just moving around so much now that it, it just opens up new opportunities for food products that are on the go, convenience products. So it's spotting these changes, I think, in people's lifestyle that are the big opportunities for food entrepreneurs. 
Now, before I let you go, this is a personal question. Brassicas and cauliflower make people fart. <laughs> so how do you stop that product being a farty product? I know, it's like, uh, you know, it's lose weight, you know, lose some weight. But no, uh, the, the great thing about our product is it is um, gently processed in a way that's very similar to Paul's baby food, right. where the the consistency, it helps break down the fibers a bit so that when you tr- when you have the product, a lot of people compare it to couscous you know mm. so it's it's gentler I think on your digestion and a lot of people who make their own cauliflower rice have said that so <laughs> we really hope you try it <laughs> <laughs> a huge thank you to my guests today Paul Lindley and Jen Misa the Voom podcast is a Pixie production for Virgin Media Business next time on the Voom podcast we'll be delving into the growing world of apps how to make a business on the screen of your phone and tablet. If you enjoyed this, then remember you can also tune in to the Virgin podcast presented by Dominic Frisby on virgin.com. But now, from me, Nikki Beatty, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.